everybody. It's the Scene World Podcast. In a minute, we're talking to Jim Drew. About the Keep Cap campaign. Yes. That he has started. One of the many things that he has started. He is, he is, Jim Drew is kind of a, a, um, Yeah. He is like Jim Brain, except that he isn't. <laughs> there, exactly. There you go. That's that's the perfect way to explain who Jim Drew is. Because the other guy that is active doing tons of things on the Commodore sixty four is um, Jim Brain. Yes. And then there's this other guy who is doing tons of things is, is in Jim the Brain U.S. Still doing stuff really with it? I thought he sure. kind of slowed down I mean, a little he's bit. Still, he's still developing uh, Jiffy DOS and stuff. Sure. Well, I know he has. And, he, and in the interview, DOS. in the interview, in the interviews, in the interview, Jim True said that Jim Brain is actually on working to figure out how to reverse engineer the super CPU, because that was was one of your points you did during the interview. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. as you know, Jim Brain got the uh, got the rights from CMD for reproducing the software and hardware from them. So, and Jim Drew that, said uh, that a Commander uh, Kang guy, whoever he was on uh, who or whoever he is on eBay, he makes the uh, the 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 clones of the FD and HD drives from CMD. I know he was working also, I believe, on reverse engineering the uh, super CPU. But didn't you say that he got caught using parts that were sent in for repair um, to produce his new device? There was there was talk of him um, not sending back people's devices and using the parts from that to to build new devices. Exactly, um, exactly. But I I don't know how much. Um, I, I, I don't know what kind of, of um, stock to place in that. It's still it's still a controversy because the people that I have talked to um, that you know the, from you know outside of the you know just in the scene in general that have dealt with them have said that you know if, if you make it, you know if you buy something from him on eBay you'll you get what you pay for and it's it's a quality product so I. I I don't know. Mm. You know, it's, it's well, anyway. It's not something but, I would risk my money for anymore. Anyway. Well, well, I mean, it's one of those things where where people, you know, uh, people bitch and complain about everything, you know, you know, you know, uh, in the scene, they, they they complain and 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 argue and and all that that nonsense. It's 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 inevitable. I'm sure mm. somewhere there's someone complaining about us right now. Well, um, I, I actually forgot. Dallas Dallas Moore? No, no, no. Who was the guy who originally who who owned the rights to um, the same guy that did Wheels? The Geos? oh, uh, uh, Morris Morris Jones. No, Morris yeah. Randall. Morris Randall, yes, yes, Jones. Where the hell did Jones come from? No, Morris yeah, Mor Randall, right? Yeah, Morris I was Randall, yeah. I was I was the only I was one of the few guys that never had a problem with him because. I called him weekly in his car repair store because I wanted my CMD mouse yeah. being returned. Right, you, uh, you he never returned him. it to me. He yeah. never returned it to me after repairing it. I was like, man, you got it now there for eight months. It's about time you ship it back to me, you know? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, no, you were on his ass about it, and so he eventually, you know, relented and and, and did did what he was supposed to do. Yeah, a lot of other people don't follow that same, you know, approach. Right, and they'll just kind of sit back and wait and complain when they don't get their thing for five, six years, or ever. Well, I mean, that was a different time before there was Skype and stuff. So, yeah. fortunately, there were the call by call numbers that would you would put in front of country codes here in Germany. So you would do sheep calls. Anyway, I still had to pay money for the call. Nowadays, I have a flat rate on Skype. I don't pay money for the call. Um, anyway, okay. Well, up to the news, I would yes. say. One of the news is from our past guest, David Pleasant from the Vulture to Vampires book. It's actually turned out so big that he now split it in two volumes. Okay. One till 94 and one beyond. So now you can, um, now you can pre-order both for 35 pounds each plus package and shipping um you can pre-order them over davidplassens.com and if you were if you were a kickstarter you should check out the last two updates from his kickstarter campaign for a special offer if you're among the kickstarter pledges okay yeah that's one bit of news um the other bit of news is that Robin Harper on his YouTube channel, he made a video explaining the difference between loading with comma eight and loading with comma eight comma one, which I found pretty interesting, especially I discussed that with you before because he loads it with um, with um, a star and he also explains what the difference is between loading it with a star and loading now now i don't know what that what that sign the character is named in it's english a, it's a colon it's a colon yeah colon star and yeah the difference actually that the star or the asterisk as some people say is not actually loading the first file on disk but the last file in memory of the disk drive and that is what most people what most people don't know so if you didn't if you didn't um, switch off and switch on your uh, 1541.2 again then it's giving you a loading error because it's looking for the last file from the previous disk inserted and is it, what is it just yeah. a 1541.2 or is it just the original? No, 41 no, as well? it's the same with 1541. But the difference is that the 1541, if you do as if you if you hit the reset line of the C64, it's automatically resetting the disk drive 1541 as well, and the 1541.2 doesn't reset with it. Okay, okay. that's the difference. Okay. So if you if you have um, um, a final cartridge three or an action replay or super snapshot or a, a, a user port or self-built in reset line button then it's automatically resetting the 1541 as well okay okay um, but the 1541 has has unfortunate unfortunately a bug in the in the operating system that means if you use the option r for overwriting 
an already existing file, you could actually destroying the file on the disk instead of overwriting it properly. So they changed some things for the 15.41.2. And obviously, on the way of changing the operating system, they also removed the reset line mm -hmm. um, passing through to the 15.41.2. Yeah, right, right. So, and, 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 and interestingly, interestingly, in most manuals of commercial games and software, it's always printed wrong without the... Um, what do you say? Semi without, without the colon, yeah. Without the colon, right. Yeah. So very, very few people know about this difference. Yeah, alrighty. It doesn't so, have on this disc. No, it's, it's uh, taped over. <laughs> um, right, no, I, just, right. I, just, I just thought, I, th I, I've got, I got a couple of original discs and I thought I would find one that had, that they just said load star. Yeah, it's mostly asterisk. written on the manual. Very few, very really? commercial games. Very few commercial games had it printed also on the label. I debate that. I debate that highly because I I used to see that a lot on the labels. Yeah, but but in, I mean I'm the I'm the European market. Well, yeah, okay, so probably, probably they did it different on the American market, but on yeah. the European market it was not printed on the labels. Um, Except if somebody wrote it, wrote it with a biro or felt it. You get a lot of that too. People writing down on the thing. Usually yeah. in the U.S., I don't know how this is elsewhere. They would write it on the envelope. Well, obviously that is probably what is under that space taxi label. There. No, I don't think it is. I don't think it is. Oh right. I was, anyway. I was looking, but but yeah, writing it on the label or on 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 the envelope rather on the envelope. What we do in the U.S. still bad is, because it's a muse envelope. You wouldn't want. Uh, yes, muse yeah, if it was just a blank envelope, that's one thing. <laughs> but but it, it's still also it's been a better option because you're not putting pressure on the disc. Right, but people didn't think so far back in the day. Yeah, people didn't think at all that those things would be collectible. At some point, so nobody cared in the 80s and 90s. Um, anyway, third bit of news is that the um, that the demo scene is now an UNESCO cultural good in Germany. Oh, hey! Yeah, we just talked yeah. about that. Yeah, in a few few podcasts back, they 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 we spoke to them trying to make a cultural heritage in Germany, Poland, Switzerland, and in France. And now yeah. the UNESCO Germany enlisted the demo scene as integral cultural heritage. Intangible, yes. Yeah. Oof. Well, and that would be my three news already. That's it. Right there at the bottom of the thing, you see it? Yeah, yeah, like yeah, like I said. Yeah. That's that's American in 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 European. Although this doesn't very... say this doesn't say load star. It says load key punch comma eight comma one. So yeah, okay. This is one of those budget budget model games. You I know. know like, uh, the really we, we, we didn't we didn't have we, we didn't have key punch in in Europe. Yeah. This is where unfortunately most of my games were key punch. 
I know, yeah, you told that story many times in the, in the podcast and even, this for like and five even in bucks. an article. Yeah, you get this for like five bucks at Toys R Us and they were crap. I know, I know, I know. So last but not least, I also want to share that Petra Planas from Caracas, Venezuela reached recently 300 subscribers. Congratulations and check out his stuff. Alrighty, well, so I would say let's dig oh. into uh, keycaps. Wait, wait till I come back. Oh, yeah, okay, we're back. Um, yes, yes, Jim, Jim Drew, we can Jim Drew. dig into Drew. Okay, see ya. <laughs> so today we are sitting here again, AJ and I, with a new guest, mm -hmm. Jim Drew. And um, you recently have been come into the picture, at least for me as a European, because you have done the second keycaps Indiegogo uh, after the first one from uh, Austria fell flat, I would say. Um, yeah. So, so let's <laughs> let's talk about that a bit. Mm -hmm. um, but first of all, let's learn a bit about yourself, Jim. Um, how did you get in touch with computers and with retro computers in the first place? How did that start for you? Uh, well, I uh, started tinkering with computers in uh, December of 1977 when my dad, who was friends with the people at Commodore, um, brought home a PET 2001. Um, so that was a winter CES. Um, he actually got one from there. So I've had a pet since then. I still have the pet. So uh, really, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of my uh, dear to my heart thing. Hmm. So then I learned to program on it, and my dad was a museum director and curator. So he wanted the idea was to use this to take inventory for the museum. And you look at the grand scheme of things. That's an 8K machine with a cassette tape and a million items in a museum. Obviously, it uh, wasn't going to work, but it was a great idea at the time. <laughs> so I learned to program on it and wrote some games and various things, and then uh, it kind of catapulted me into always doing computer software and such. So in uh, about mid-'83, late-'83, I started working for Commodore um, in Portland, Oregon, uh, handling educational accounts, uh, getting for schools, for getting 64s, and, and I guess we, some of the pet stuff later, you know, in '83. Um, in and out of schools, and I also worked in the service center for Commodore as well. And uh, so I was writing some software there uh, during the same time, and with mostly base stuff, and that kind of uh, led on to me leaving and uh, doing a whole bunch of different copy programs and stuff. So I think I did uh, 60 different programs for 64. Hmm. Um, over the course of a period of time and then got into the Amiga and then had to switch to PC and then about uh, 2001 probably maybe I got out completely doing computer stuff um, actually I uh, spent five years traveling the world playing paintball professionally Wow! Uh, really? developed, developed electronics for the paintball guns for the industry so that was my actual job at that point I was making electronics for the, for the markers Hmm. And I did that probably until about 2006 or so, and then I got out of that really, um, and I got 
back into, I'd always been into model airplanes and stuff as a kid. And so I got into the UAV industry in about 2006. Hmm. And that's what I do still to this day is that. So I developed my control, guidance control um, systems for various UAVs from everything small all the way up to giant sized UAV stuff. Oh, so, fascinating. Yeah. So that's kind of where I am in my history. So it's ironic that I got back into computing, retro computing in 2012 um, by accident. I got an, I always get emails from people um, periodically, you know, you have this software, you, can, you know, you have this piece of hardware that you did, you know, and various things like that. And so I tried to be accommodating for where I can, but you know, I got rid of a lot of stuff, but the reality is, is that I got rid of that stuff to storage. So I had literally thousands of things from inventory from the original utility limited products. And so I had a lot of stuff. I just didn't want to go get it really because it was a lot of work to go get it. Mm-hmm. But in 2012, I got an email from a guy asking if I would provide software for my board that he got on eBay. And uh, I was like, well, I didn't sell a board on eBay. He goes, well, yeah, you did. You're selling them on eBay. It's like, no, I'm not selling them on eBay. So <laughs> I went and looked at eBay, and there was a company that had knocked off a bunch of my stuff. And they were selling it on eBay. And mm-hmm. so I had to send them a letter, you know, and threaten them and all that. And then I started looking into this retro computing scene, you know, quote, unquote, and I had no clue what was going on. So once I saw that, I was like, man, I need to get my stuff out of storage now. And uh, so I've been making new products ever since then. So it's kind of my side business that I do. It's not my real day job, but it's something mm-hmm. that, that I So, you know, this this whole thing with this keycap campaign, you know, I backed them originally, like everybody else did. You know, I thought I'd be cool. Um, ideally, what I wanted, especially when um, the Dallas case came out, when he found the molds, the original 64C yeah. and different cases for those. Dallas Moore, right. yes. So it'd be cool. It'd be cool if I had a clear case with clear keycaps. So that was my goal in the whole thing. And just so happens this Indiegogo thing popped up, and I'm like, oh, that's brilliant. That's perfectly that's what I want. <laughs> and, of course, we all know how that kind of went by the wayside. Well, yeah. And then I've been bugged by a lot of people in the industry because I do a lot of products in the UAV industry that use plastic injection parts and all this. So, so I'm very familiar with the whole process. And I, I did it also with paintball guns as well. So I've had contacts in China for, you know, 20 some years now. And so it seemed like, eh, you know, I could do it, but it's, I'm not, I'm not quite sure if you can actually make a real replica. And I'm not a real big fan of having something that's not perfect. And uh, so I spent, I don't know, if you can ask uh, Eric um, uh, Hill from Amiga Love. Um, he is one that was actually bugging me a lot to get this done. And I kind of worked with him back and forth probably six months, maybe, or eight months before I decided to actually do this. And uh, I just wanted to make sure it could be done right. And so I, I could post some pictures to you guys in the, uh, the Discord's little chat thing down here. So you got you can include these if you want to. That would um, be perfect. That'd I got pictures perfect. I've never shown before with anybody of the development process of doing the keycaps and checking to see if it would actually be accurate enough to, to meet my standards for this. Because it had to be dead on. And you know what? As a person who would purchase this from somebody, I wouldn't want to have something that kind of looked like it because you can go buy a keyboard anywhere that kind of looks like it. And so I'll post some pictures in here for you guys to take a look at uh, that I Perfect. came up with. And uh, it just basically, there's just test photos of, of various things that I had done. Uh, let's see. 
it's interesting that you mentioned that it all started with Dallas Moore and just thought like, hey, having fitting keycaps key would be perfect because that is exactly how it happened for me. That's exactly my train of thought. And then I, I made yeah. the mistake of, of, of um, over the months the Indiegogo was going to order like a couple of the um, the keycaps, you know. In different colors and different F keys and whatso whatsoever, and and now thinking back, I I thought perhaps it would have been smarter to only buy one and see if we actually can put it to the market, you know. So, yeah, well, you know, I've had really good success with with Kickstarter and Indiegogo, um, you know, campaigns that I've backed, and I thought, well, you know, not big deal. So I'll back a bunch of these and kind of thinking, how many do I need? How many would I use? And you know, in reality, you always want more than you're going to ever use. You know, I thought, oh, you know, it's cool. I'll support, you know, the the campaign so it gets funded. And uh, so, yeah, who knew? Yeah. So basically, what I did was, uh, these are the first thing you need to do when you build a keycap is to build the stem part of it because I'd have to be able to have a, a means to adjust the height and figure out the height wise. And ideally, what you want to be able to do is look through the keycap. You can see if things are actually fitting correctly, and so I use a 3D resin printer, and um, I actually made the stems first, and uh, identical stems, and which was kind of neat because I had some that were broken, which is pretty common for keyboards anyway. So I was able to replace these, uh, but I was able to actually make sure that they fit the original keycap for the stem part because one of the things you don't want to have happen is you put a keycap on and it pops off. Right. And Commodore's keycaps were pretty intricate. Um, mm -hmm. I cut one apart and, you know, I checked it. And so inside of it, there's actually a flange that locks the locking mechanism. And if you take a look at the stem itself, it actually has a little ridge, like a little diamond-shaped ridge on each side of it that actually locks up inside of it, which is why they, you have to use a keycap puller to get them off. You know, they just don't slide off. And right. so my biggest fear was let's not make something that uh, when people put it on, the spring's going to pop the keycap off. True, <laughs> you know? true. So there's a lot of things that you have to think about before even actually making this. Now, the mm -hmm. shape-wise, I figured I could probably wing that pretty well with a 3D scanner and then clean it up, and then, um, which is what I did. I got There's video of that in the keycap campaign, how that was done. So I also had Dan Toodle. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yeah, I just, just wanted to throw uh, in this, uh, this keycap thing that you mentioned. Uh, we had this topic once with the guy from Denmark who did his replacement keyboard. You're talking uh, Mountain Buffalo or something like Mount, that. Mountain Buffalo, exactly. Mountain Buffalo was his name, yeah. And and he explained the same Duke. thing with... No, sorry. Mountain Dew was a drink, I know. No, so Mountain Buffalo explained <laughs> exactly the thing that you mentioned with the stamps, you know. And, and the keycaps, so that's um, actually a big issue there. Um, and interestingly, what most people don't know, that see, there are two versions of those stamps by Commodore. They are done there's their actually versions. four versions. Four even, okay. Yeah, there's four versions that I found. And so, luckily, the vast majority of them are the ones that I'm making the keycaps for. And we've worked, actually, if you look in the campaign, there's a bunch of messages about that. There's links to the website that show the differences between the different stems that are available. And so they actually even made a stem. There's actually a fifth version, apparently, that I've not, I've only seen pictures of. And it's the same stem that the 128 keys use. 
which is a little tiny stem. So, luckily, the vast majority of the 17 million 64s out there use the larger size stem that will work. So, I posted some more pictures for this, and you guys are welcome, of course, to include these in whatever you're presenting to people. Um, people have seen these before. Um, so, I want to make sure everything looked good. So, you can see from the pictures everything that actually they do fit, it's the right height, and there's a lot of things that are critical in that aspect of height wise. Now, mm -hmm. when I was thinking of this originally to do this with talking with Dan and, and Eric and all these people, um, one of the things that I wanted to do uh, was make my own keyboard. And that was kind of hush-hush until like about the middle of the campaign. Um, then I said, okay, here's what I really want to do. Um, I figured that since I've got the top shape, the actual shape of the keycap, the underneath part, because there's two separate molds, there's a top part and a bottom part. Mm -hmm. The bottom part basically is the underside with the stem part. And the top part is a separate of the shape. If you change right. the bottom part of the mold, you can change the stem. So what I wanted to do is a mechanical keyboard, kind of like the mech board was. But one of the problems with it, of course, is if you've got a 3D printed adapter to go from the Cherry MX switch to a Commodore stem, it's wobbly. It's also height's wrong at that point. There's a lot of problems with that. So I thought, you know what, when I get this made, if I could have a third part of the mold made, a second underpiece, I could have the top part be reused for the new bottom that would fit the Cherry MX switches, and I could adjust the height, you know, accordingly for what I need. And mm -hmm. so that's what I have had planned to do all along, is basically have that done, and that would be something I would pay for um, myself, and then I could make a set of keycaps for a mechanical keyboard, and I would like to actually make a mechanical keyboard that was the right height, like the mech board is. So perhaps you should work together with this guy from from uh, Denmark then, because well, he has he, already... That the... person contacted me, I guess, and then everything went on GitHub or something like that, so it's all open source anyway, I guess. Uh, but there's things about that particular project that I don't like. Um, oh. Not so much don't like, I should say. Um, I would not want to use, because my mechanical keyboard is a lot different than that. Um, it has LEDs for every single one of the keys, first of all. Hmm. So you'll know when you press the key cap down, um, and they're RGB LEDs. And there's a computer that actually runs all of that, that interfaces to the, um, the the CIA, which is you know the, the connector that goes on there. Because right. the CIA is used strictly you know for the keyboard, and that's there's two ports, two parallel ports available. And one of the byproducts of having two parallel ports available is and a computer in there, especially a computer that's uh, running at 32 megahertz is that you could offload data to that computer to do something. So if I wanted to do graphics conversions or GCR conversions or something like that, you could send data to the keyboard, you get it done, and send it back to the keyboard if you wanted to. And so there's a lot of you know future things you could do. Literally, there's more memory in the computer than that computer than there is in the 64. You know? <laughs> so yeah. you yeah. could actually use it for other you know, purposes besides that. But I want to have nice, um, you know, like, scrolling colors on the keyboard and all these, you know, strange things you see. Kind of like you look at a PC gaming keyboard. You can see how, you know, one of the things I saw on a PC gaming keyboard I thought was really cool was um, they've got a keyboard blanker, which is like a screen blanker, you know, where they've got the image that shows on a screen blanker. The keyboard blanker actually does something while you're not using the keyboard for a period of time. And one of them things is a lightsaber duel, and it's 
if you look it up on YouTube, it's an actual lightsaber duel. So you'll see like the lightsabers battling each other, and it's all done on the lights on the keyboard. It's amazing. Wow. So I, when I saw that, I, that was really kind of like threw me over the edge of wanting to make keyboards. Like that would be really cool. Those are keyboard. So, so I posted a few more pictures here, and then I'll show you a picture of the actual keyboard thing that I. I, made I, I wonder what the price point is. I think for the um, for the one from Denmark, I paid like one hundred fifty nine euros or something. I think. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. There's there's not a, there's a lot of money in tooling, and so you have to amortize the cost of tooling over you know your product line, obviously. And that was kind of where we were with the keycap campaign too. So to make the first thousand sets to pay for tooling and the plastic. It was like right at forty thousand dollars U.S. whatever um, done in China, obviously, and so we had to get to that point in the campaign and they even pay for it. I never, I actually never thought the campaign would get funded, honestly. Really? I thought there was so much bad. Yeah. yeah. I thought there was so much bad with the uh, original campaign. I figured nobody would ever want to do it, and so I actually printed a set of keycaps myself, and I was uh, my plan was to. Uh, Either laser them, because I have a laser here too. Laser and then uh, backfill, fill in the, the laser part so I could have my own, and just do a set for myself. So I actually have a full set of keys. They're not lasered yet, but I have a full set, obviously, to, to make sure everything fit in space correctly. And I thought, ah, nothing else, you know. I spent some time. I could do it, you know, for myself. Not a big deal. Well, I have to but, tell yeah, you a secret. Fun. The reason. Um, exactly, <laughs> the skeptical reason was the reason I only ordered one and not five. Because I was like, okay, let's first see if he if he delivers, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, we had, I mean, there was two thousand eight hundred and like thirty sets or something like that that were back. It was ridiculous. I was stunned. Um, so I was actually I was thrilled about it. At the same time, I was like, okay, I guess I'm doing this regardless if I like it or not, for sure now. <laughs> and, uh, so, but it was, I had such great support from the community, though. I mean, mm. there's like a bunch of guys that really stepped up and said, hey, like Dan Toodle was like huge in this. He provided me Blender and, uh, data, which he had made, which he had thought the shapes were. And then mm. between that and my scan, my scan I thought was, was accurate because it's the scan of original heat. And I was, I actually looked at Dan's stuff, and Dan had some actual better curvature than the, than the scanner picked up. So I overlaid Dan's data with my data and I tweaked things. And so it's kind of a hybrid between what we both had gotten. And honestly, you know, it's probably off by maybe a couple thousands here and there, but it's a key cap. And you're not going to notice that ever, you know, we side by side. And that's why I posted the picture. You look at them side by side and they're identical. You know? So to me, that was the biggest thing for me. It's like I wanted to make sure it was right. I don't like to, to make something that's like sort of close or whatever. Um, so, you know, once it got funded and, you know, reached the halfway point, it was funded like in 24 hours, something like that. It was ridiculous. I know. Um, I saw that. I thought, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I was it's like, okay, well, I guess we're doing this. And I, so I thought, okay, so then I was really on to this whole doing the keyboard thing. So at that point, I sat down and I finished the keyboard layout, the, uh, the circuit board layout for it, for the RGB LED where they go and all stuff and so I, then I also needed um, ideally that plate if you look at the last picture I just sent there's the plate that the keyboards uh, electronics well, basically the circuit board sits under it's a big flat plate with all the holes for the stems to go through that's mm -hmm. solid black you know opaque material so you can't see through it 
So what I really need to do was to make one that would be compatible with that, that was either open or completely transparent, one of the two. So it's transparent plastic. Either way, it was the same price. I was like, it's like, uh, you know. So then I thought, well, maybe just do a mechanical keyboard only. And then people were bugging me saying, no, we really like to have this clear plastic plate too, because we like to have that circuit board. So I ended up making the circuit board so it would work with stock 64 uh, plate. And then you can actually drill the holes if you wanted to, for the LEDs to shine through, <laughs> or a clear one, or my mechanical one. So I made it so that it would actually work with all the different ones. So I don't have to have 50 different SKUs of parts, you know, to lay around the shop to be able to uh, to have a, a cart for people to buy. So, so just a have... question: Did I did I miss huh. something? So you have a second Indiegogo for the keyboard, or did I miss something? No, no, it's something I'm doing myself. Okay, just. I yeah. was just in shock for a second. Like, on the fact that you know, if the keycaps got funded, you know, then it would really, I could do it at that point. It would make sense at that point to do it. So it's something that's a CBM stuff product. So that will be out mm -hmm. ever from the, from the campaign. So obviously everyone in the campaign will know about right. it because I can promote it through the campaign, but it'll be something that's totally separate. No funding required for it. Wonderful. So perhaps, so, perhaps when the keycap cool. stuff is sorted out, then we can order keyboards from you as well, perhaps as mm -hmm. a combo. Yep. Yeah, it's a plan to have a completely ready-to-go keyboards and then have kits as well. Wow. Where you can, like, you know, pop them on yourself and such. That way, because the people are, are crazy. <laughs> they want different <laughs> color keycaps on different locations, and there's, you know, that's, it's too much work to try to make a website where you say, I want this keycap here and this keycap this color here. So it's better to just sell a kit. You can just, you know, put it together however you want to put it together. But if those people that just want one assembled and done, a regular keyboard, you know, traditional keycaps and stuff, I'll have that available as well. Awesome. Okay, so let's let's talk about what's happened to the keycap campaign. Yeah, it's interesting uh, because because, of, because you told well, me when we that? when we shit when we shed it before, you said like, oh, the the whole interview will not take longer than ten minutes, and now we are already talking for half an hour <laughs> almost. So. You see, uh, you have stuff to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I do. Um, so, let's see if I can find a couple of pictures in here. Uh, I've got a couple of pictures of the factory. So, the factory that I, I found, well, I found a lot of factories in China, and I have a lot of different contacts in China for various things. But I was looking for a company that had experience making keyboards, and that's really what their forte was. And so, I found this company, and they actually make keyboards for... for Gaming, gaming keyboards for PC, for Asus and some other companies. So they're actually a big company that does it. So that's what they do. So I wanted to make sure that I had some company that had experience in printing because anybody can make plastic. Um, it's a printing process. It's really important, especially for accuracy. Because the last thing you want is to have your number one shift it off to the side. It's not where it's supposed to be. Because that would personally drive me nuts if I was trying to look at the keyboard and it's in the wrong spot, you know. I mean, there's some keys on the 64 keyboard in the wrong spot. They're shifted slightly. And uh, people actually asked me if I was going to correct those. And I thought, <laughs> no, probably not, because they're, that's the original keyboard. And that's what I want to do. <laughs> but there are some 64 keyboards or keys that are off a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, so people don't know that, probably because they're so used to seeing the 64, the way it is for, you know, 30-some years. So 
I found this keyboard company. Um, they sent me pictures, had many people in China I go check them out. They're totally legit. And they have giant machines for plastic injection. 300 ton, 500 ton, and megaton style machines. The pictures, and I need to find them. I'll send you a picture. It's pretty funny. People standing next to the machine, they like little people, little tiny people, because the machines are so big. And that's the reason why is that they do, I found out in the middle of the campaign, I didn't realize in the beginning when I was talking to people, they not only do keyboards, they do uh, plastic enclosures for cases and giant things, like things that are many feet in diameter and size-wise, like you know garbage buckets and things like this, huge things they make uh, in these machines. And so because that they have these giant machines, they can make, you know, 5,000 face shield masks all at one time in a mold. And mm -hmm. so I'm not sure if they voluntarily repurposed their factory or if they were told by their government they're going to be repurposed. But in an instant, everything was off the table for any new orders for anybody, and they were strictly making PPE. That was it. That makes and sense. they're still making PPE. Yeah, and they're still making PPE right now. So I've contacted them two weeks ago. Same thing. They told me all along. They they strung me along the whole entire time. Oh no, we'll we can make stuff for you in the fall time. So I'm not sure when fall time is supposed to be. I would think like you know now, but um, it's obvious that they they're not doing it. So that led me to look at other factories. And of course, anybody like I said can make plastic. That's not a problem. It's the printing process is is the real issue. If you don't have experience with doing dye sublimation or pad printing or UV printing, then I didn't want to use that company. So I found a couple of different companies that can do it. And the argument today um, has been about the longevity of the, the keycap um, oh. when you print it. Oh, so tell me about it. Tell me about the it. Last one. Okay, well, so <laughs> if you look at this keyboard I've got here, so this is my current daily use PC keyboard, and uh, you can see right. I'm missing some letters here. Yeah. yeah. And so this keyboard is about six months old, and it's it's worn off. You know, yeah. obviously it functions as a keyboard. So this was my big fear, and these keycaps are actually clear coded too. And so this is where I've been with these these hmm. two factories is like, can you guarantee me that six months from now it's not going to look like this? Because I don't want anybody in the 64, you know, after a year or two years, or whatever, saying, "Hey, these were junk," because you know the keys uh, text wore off. Actually, so true. I've been trying to pad printing, which lasts longer than die sub, which is what this was, um, or UV printing. But UV printing is about five times the cost as opposed to a die sub. Uh, but UV printing is impervious to even acetone. The plastic melts before the, the text would melt. And obviously a double shot mold, which is what the original 64 used, that's really expensive anyway because that's multiple molds that are interlocked you know, for getting the, uh, the text actually in a different color of plastic. Um, the 64C, they actually I have a couple of those that are worn too, believe it or not. But those were pad printing, and so pad printing was a lot better than die sub. So this week I have to resolve which of those um, companies I can use, or I use a third-party company I've got lined up as well. That which would mean all the keycaps would come from company either Shenzhen or Dongguan and get shipped to Shanghai, which is a long ways away. 
and you know, at the cost of China. And then they have to get printed and then all shipped back. And it's so if these guys in either Shenzhen or Dongguan can't actually guarantee me this. So we're arguing about this pretty much right at the moment. But the, the bottom line is very simple for me. I have to get this done and paid for and out of my hair before the end of the year because I'm personally responsible for the income tax on all that money if I don't get rid of it. Yeah. So, mm. That's a <laughs> I don't have a choice but to get rid of it. So, but yeah. I don't want to rush right. it to the point where it's garbage. You know, I don't want to have to be released as garbage. But I, that's why I've been spending all this time since I started researching this again probably by October, September. So that's, it's come time where it's got to get a decision made um, because I don't want to be personally responsible for all that money. It's all write off because it's all going to be spent, you know, and used. So mm-hmm. no sense me paying you know, 25% income tax on, what, eighty-four, eighty-five thousand $85,000 that actually came in after all the fees. Wow. Yeah. Speaking about the print wearing off, at work, at my workplace, I have a very expensive Sherry keyboard, and it's looking like yours mm-hmm. after after a year or two. <laughs> and, 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 and at home, I actually changed to a, to a cheap Lenovo keyboard, and it's, it's not having this problem whatsoever. So it's not about the price of the keyboard, obviously. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a process. And like I know that, you know, die sublimation is great. And that's one of the things that the uh, this original keyboard manufacturer that I had for doing this campaign, they sent me some really nifty looking keyboard uh, pictures. I need to find those and send them to you. Uh, they had one that was an American flag over the entire keyboard. And even the face of the keys was all printed. So the whole entire thing was, was like doing a wrap in vinyl. It was all a dye sublimation print. It was really cool. And so what I had planned on doing with these people was making a limited run of like the Commodore logo or something in the middle, some, something in the middle of the keyboard that was a picture, but you still have your key tag, yeah. which was cool. Yeah. Um, but that's dye sub printing. So that's the stuff that can wear off pretty easily unless you have a clear coat. Now, they had guaranteed me as well, it's not a problem. So if you take a look at a lot of these dice-up keyboards, like the one that's even more off now, there is a clear coat that's very distinctive over top of like a letter P. Um, it would be a little bit wider than the actual text, but you can see it's clear coat around it. And mm-hmm. so you don't really notice it on there. What you don't really want is like a big flat area of clear, you know, like a shiny keycap on each one of them, and the rest of the keycap is almost mm-hmm. all color. Yeah, right, right. So that's why they do the little mask, we call it a, a print mask on it. Mm-hmm. So they do the mask on it. And I guess if you do enough depth wise, you can probably clear coat it, you know, effectively. But I've not seen anything done that way. But you might have to take a look at your keyboard and see how you, they did yours. If it's clear coated or if it's um cat printing. Well cat printing process is because it's thicker. You can physically feel the actual text on it. No, it's uh, not. It's not like, not like that. School, uh, even the old school, even the old school sixty fours. You know, I got the sixty four C. You can see that kind of, you know, the mask. Yeah, the yeah, exactly. You see the little little area around the keys because it's not, you know, because yep. it's printed on top of it. Right. So I've got a couple of sixty four Cs that have been worn out, but they were worn out by people that spend way more time on the keyboard than I did on the keyboard. I, I did all my programming for originally, but I did it on a yeah. red pen. 
So I never wore a keyboard out that way. But I got a couple of buddies that actually use a 64 C for programming, and they all wore off some of the keys as well. Yeah, these, this is my second set. <laughs> my second set of keys on this, this machine. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So that's where we're at in the PCAP campaign right now. So it'll, it'll be, you know, sent through and we'll get molds made. And as soon as that process happens, which should be next week or so, I'll send out a survey to all the backers asking what colors they want at that point. Then I can make this big database. I've got a database of people already in it, um, but I'd be able to add what color keycaps they're getting, what color function keys they're getting, and then sort that out. Because I have to know in order to order the, you know, when I actually place the order for all the different colors. I seriously mm -hmm. hope, as being a European, you get your customs and paper invoices right, because that is that is number one problem for me as being European sometimes that sellers are not doing the papers correctly at all. And I had cases where the customs here in Germany, in my city, returned it to sender because I couldn't right. supply the information. Well, the <clears throat> and that's really During bad. the whole time as well, one of the things that happened in the U.S. is that, uh, you know, we've got this big run on tariffs we're doing. Yeah. Well, about, what, three months ago, two months ago, <clears throat> the plastic tariff kicked in. So there's an actual 25% tariff on any plastic imported from China. Wow. So I'd be responsible for 25% of that. So one of the things that I've also done when I'm contacting these factories is uh, sorted out that they can all do logistics for me. So they can actually ship all the non-U.S. orders directly to whatever country they're going to. And that's critical because obviously that's 25% a big chunk of money for you know the campaign. Also, it worked out really well because... About 65% of all of the keycaps were placed from the U.S. as far as the individual number of orders. But 80% of all the keycaps in the campaign are going to Germany. Really? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I read that. I read that. Yeah. Going to Germany. <laughs> Directly yeah. from China. I don't have to touch it. Which leaves me 20% of, you know, the entire bulk order going, even though it's more orders overall in the U.S., it's still less plastic. So, uh, we should be okay for customs wise. I mean, that's, I allowed a 5% margin in the campaign for boo boos, and I consider this a boo boo. So, you know, there's nothing I can do about it. May I explain my, explain the typical problems, if I may? I mean, sure. I mean, sometimes, sometimes I'm having problems with American sellers that I don't understand why it's a problem in the first place. Yeah. And the, the issue with, with Americans is, um, with American seller is sometimes they are making crazy stuff like putting the invoice outside of the parcel in the pouch, which should be, but not in a separated pouch, but behind the address label. So German customs can't see the can't see the invoice, of course, because they are not allowed uh. to reach behind the address label. You know, and I'm like, why oh, do they? You know, why do they even so get know, the idea to do that? I don't understand. On our customs forms here, because like we do customs all the time here, uh, it's a single sheet, and it has an itemized list on the front. So exactly. that would make sense why we would do that. So exactly. That but, should be a problem for but, but here in Germany and in Norway and a lot of other European countries, there has to be an invoice or a, um, um, a proof of value also attached to the parcel, you know? So and that yeah. has to be in a separated posh. So so sometimes I'm telling the sellers what to do and they are still doing it wrong. And then 
and then um it's it's really it's a really mess in a way and and um the problem is that when you have to process it afterwards they are adding fees since five five years so sometimes the fees are higher than the value of what i've ordered and then i was like oh well i marked the value of the package at the production cost not the retail price of it which is enough if it gets lost it can re that's my biggest fear. People are like, well, can you mark the, the uh, item as, you know, $5 on a $100 item? It's like, well, if it gets lost, I get $5 nah. back, you know. Yeah. It doesn't pay for the, the, the cost of the item. So I usually mark it for whatever the cost of the item is to produce, and then that way it recovers my cost, and then I can ship them another one back, if, you know, or whatever. So it's, but a lot of people in Europe especially, they, they really want, like, oh, please mark it as a gift. No, nah, that, well, that doesn't work here. Do that that doesn't work in Germany. If <laughs> if you do that, I, yeah. I had that, you know, then the customs is like is like come to our office because we don't believe the value on the on the customs form is accurate, you know. So that is ah. why I prefer why I prefer why I prefer um real the real price, you know. And and and, right, right. and also a second thing that happened in the last five years, which I don't understand. Uh, many sellers from you know um, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, eBay used used a shipping company, and they had an automatic address correction. And the automatic address correction had a problem that to my postal code it attached two cities, because it thought one city is a state. So that uh. means when an when, a, when an address has two cities that the parcel has to go through the address correction procedure and that means a delay of four weeks for the delivery of the parcel. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> That's not good. So, so as, oh, I'm yeah. just explaining no, some, not. some problems are like, ah, oh my God, you know, and, and then, then, then I emailed, then I emailed this pr processing company and said like, Hey, on my next order from you, can you please fix your system? And they were, they were, they were emailing me back like, you need a customer number and so on. I'm like, no, I'm not the guy who's shipping. I'm the customer who's receiving. And, sure. and why don't you, why don't you take my, my uh, report of your back? So, um, in the last five years, I had so many problems. I just wanted to share that, um, it's really <laughs> weird. And, and of course, well, then you say, how is it with other countries? When I try it with people from Japan, they reply like, I can't do it. Please cancel your order. I'm like, oh, thank you. That's nice. Yeah, Japan is real picky about that. <laughs> I've had some orders canceled by myself going to the U.S. from Japan. <laughs> uh, so uh, j just um, as a German, it's really hard. So so I hope, I hope um, you will get it worked out. Because I don't want to have problems because of my keycaps. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's like I said, the logistics for all of the key keycaps being sent from outside the U.S. will be sent directly from China directly to each one of the backers. That way, I don't have to deal with our uh, our tariff for the biggest thing for me. And then um, that will, should also be a much quicker means in general to. Uh, get the keycaps to the backers if they're individually, you know, shipped from the, the factory. Otherwise, they're going to be shipped to me, repackaged, and all that stuff, and then shipped back out. Um, the only thing that I kind of worry about is uh, during this whole campaign, it's I've got pretty good 
sources in China that can do translation and stuff, but um, it's still kind of iffy sometimes on translation about what you want. And so I don't want, uh, say for example, you ordered you know two different PCAP sets with four different colors. I don't want you getting the wrong colors, you know, or three of the four are right, you know. So that's going to be something that's going to have to be really closely monitored with those people when they're doing the shipping to make sure the right, you know, key caps are going to the right people. And so that's my only concern about that whole thing. But, you know, I have the same problem here, too, for the U.S. guys, you know. It's a lot of keyboard. I mean, you looked at, but there's, um, I figured this out the other day. Let me see how much it is. Well, I'm getting 3,000 sets made because that covers the entire batch plus 100 and some left over. Um, so it's 198,000 pieces of plastic that are going to be shipping. Wow. You know, producing. So it's a, that's that's a lot of plastic to make sure that uh, it's all put together in the correct color of the bag. I don't want people to get two A keys or two, you know, C keys or something like that as well. So the sets have got to be correct. So, um, you know, it's it's quite a bit of work, actually, to, you know, on the back side of this, to make sure everything gets you know, bagged correctly. Hmm. So I posted a couple other pictures to you. Um, one is one of the smaller uh Smaller sets of machines for the, the factory in China, and you can see a little person down there, and how big those machines really are that they use. <laughs> and also, there's a picture of the uh, the rendering of the clear keycap um, or clear keyboard base as well. So, a couple of things you're welcome yeah, to share. I see that. I see. Yep. Yeah. I'll save these images and we'll put them in the. Uh, I guess we'll do this as a video podcast, and we'll, we'll put sure. these images in as we do this. Sure. Yeah. Um, there, there is one thing that that I want to tackle. I mean, I mean, you said at the beginning, um, there are there are people that are worried about you and doing the second keycaps, but there are also other people who are generally speaking badly about new projects. You know, I mean, I mean, if if you type in if you type in your name you also find some negative responses, you know? Like, don't oh, give Jim True some money, uh, and so on. And, uh, well, I just wanted to know your perspective about it. There's, there's, yeah, you, I mean, I mean, you, you don't, you're not limited to this. There are products that, like, I've got, I've got the, your, the, the Wi-Fi modem that you, that mm. you designed on my Amiga 500. Mm. You know, I mean, there are, are plenty of things, so, yeah, it's not yeah. like I've never made not anything like or picked anybody's money and uh, not providing something, you know. That's, right. Yeah, in fact, I was my big fear. I got daylight shining through my blinds right now. Sorry, guys. That's okay. <laughs> um, my, I've never had ever a case where I took anybody's money for anything, ever. Um, but my big fear was this. And so you can chat with the guys behind the scenes like um, Eric Hill and Dan Toodle and stuff and know about what was going on behind the scenes. But the original keycap campaign from Indiegogo, I contacted that guy and I said, hey, I would like to pick up your keycap campaign from you. I would like to buy whatever you've got. I would like to you know, get your backer list and all this stuff and then let this go and finish this thing. And he sent me the scathing response about the whole thing, that it was coming out and wasting my time, blah, 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 blah. The very next day, 
was the last update to his Indiegogo campaign saying that he's going to be getting it done, da, da, da. I think that was in April. And so when that happened, I told Dan and Eric, I said, look, this is, this is a response that I got. It was right after I just sent this email to him. I said, this guy's being a jerk about this, so I'm going to go ahead and proceed this and doing it. That's, and that's when I started looking into it. So it was April to December is how long I actually spent going through the whole process of trying to recreate the keycaps and all and finding factories and all this stuff like that. So it wasn't like I spent, you know, two days to go rip people off. It was a lot of my time that I spent doing this. And the only reason I did a campaign, the only reason was I was concerned that this guy would actually come through and then I would have spent all my personal money on molds and stuff and people wouldn't need them. Uh, they would just go ahead and use his back or you know, use his campaign so they would get the keycaps. Yeah, right. And so I want to go and spend forty, fifty thousand dollars of my own money, and not have the kind of a guarantee that it was, you know, not going to get replaced. And so that's the only reason why I did a campaign mm-hmm. was to make sure that I wouldn't have to actually pay for it, just in case this clown decided to go ahead and do it. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, the problem is yeah. with the retro scene, there are always fights in a way. I mean, HA can remember when we made our step onto the Amiga. That was yeah. that turned into a, a, yeah. a, a disaster in a way, you know. And and I see I see on the screen you have this um, um, moving bouncy, well I, I don't know bouncing yeah. ball, Amiga bouncing ball. So you probably yeah. know what I'm talking about, you know. Yeah. Well, I spent you know I, I developed a lot of products for the Amiga, so it wasn't like I've not developed anything for Commodore stuff. Like I said, I've been probably sixty different things for 64. Um, I made the implant board for the Amiga, which was the Macintosh emulation, which everyone said was impossible to do. You know, mm-hmm. full color Macintosh. I did right. that. I did a Pentium emulation. I did um, all the different mm-hmm. SuperCard series for the Amiga, Sybil, um, all kinds of internal hardware. I mean, so I, I did a lot of stuff for the Amiga and I did a lot of stuff for 64. So, you know, so all my products are, are good. And that's one thing about I think in the community, you see negative stuff about me, that's fine, because there's really nothing to back it. Because they, they can't say, well, this product sucked and this product did this. Everything I've ever produced was great. I mean, I know that because I would not release something unless it was something I would use myself. And that's how I actually get a lot of my products is I need something myself, and so I make it. And then somebody says, hey, I want that too. Right. You know, that's how the retro thing has been. That's why there's a Y-Modem 232 for your Amiga, um, because I made one for the 64. Because I wanted one. And then people saw it for 64, and then the Amiga people asked me, hey, can you make one for the Amiga? And I was like, well, I can make one that works with everything. And the Amiga is on RS-232. And so that's how that came to be. It wasn't something that I needed for the Amiga. I needed one for my 64. At least you are aware. Yeah, you are aware. You are aware of what's Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and a lot of times I do it on purpose. I mean, all the, the commotion and the chaos, oh, that's not an accident, people. Um, it's funny is that they call it guerrilla marketing. And as long as you have a good product, you can get away with doing it. If you release crap, you're going to get burned. It, that's what's going to happen. But yeah, I'll cause chaos on purpose online just because it gets my name out there and gets the product out there. Hmm. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, if you, if you look at, at um, the keycap thing, I mean, there are, there are people, like big names, um, who, who still say, this guy will come out with his keycaps, you know, 
Um, um, for example, Jens Schönfeld. What, what? He told me. 2015, the campaign. Pardon? Is it 2015? You released a campaign. Yeah, I mean? 2015. Yeah, five years so ago. We're looking at, yeah, mm -hmm. it's a while. I, I mean, oh. I mean, I mean, I've, I've waited um, five years for Equinox to to release the new the new um the new product i mean i mean i mean i mean that's not a problem i don't have a problem to wait but but the, as i said before yeah, there are no right, updates right. there are no updates so and um and and still still yeah that's one thing i wanted to make sure yeah you know with my campaign i want to make sure that everybody was updated all the time to figure out what's going on i mean there's not much i can do about the situation with covid you know right affect the entire planet But, you know, nothing else, you know, I tell people, hey, this is what I'm doing, this is where we're at, we're still waiting, we're still waiting, you know, nothing I can do. And then finally, I just got tired of waiting. And I can see the writing on the wall with this company, you know, they're, they're not going to change their attitude on what they're making. So I had to find another avenue to get it done, you know. And then, yeah. of course, this tax reason why that was a big reason for me as well. So I don't have to pay for income tax on something that, that is going to be completely gone, you know, all, all money spent. Makes yeah. no sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I still wonder. I still wonder. I mean, um, number one reason that was told in the updates for the original keycaps was that he made a thirty thousand loss of euros in this campaign, and and I think I think is this kind of bad managing. I mean, I mean, if you are doing a project like you said, you should you should plan ahead. What you what kind of um, cooperation you need, what kind of uh, budget you need, and stuff. And I really wonder mm -hmm. how can how can be a, a Indiegogo a disaster like that to make a minus of thirty thousand euros. I don't know. Um, yeah, you, you obviously not in business before or something. You know, there's a lot of things you. you that's why I spent you know from April to December when I launched a campaign. Going through everything I needed to figure out what to do with it, and it's not like I'm not done business before. I mean, I've had business for a long time since you know, Utilities Limited was uh, 1985. I mean, mm -hmm. so it's like I've been doing business a long time. I mean, you can't always determine what's going to happen when you're subjected to a supplier chain. Yeah. You know, if you're relying on somebody to give you something, um, that's something you really can't control. But what you can control is having the foresight. To have backup plans for different camp, you know, for different uh, suppliers. Yes. Yeah, and different avenues. And so it's it's funny. I've been frustrated. I've been talking with all my friends that are the Commodore community, and uh, we meet every Friday night to chat on Discord. So the whole big group of us that do video chat for literally eight hours every Friday night. Uh, so way we are in the morning, and we talk about this campaign all, all the time and all the issues. And I wish, you know. If, because of COVID, if we'd known, obviously, in advance of COVID, I would have done things a lot differently. Um, and we were kind of chatting and, and laughing about the fact that this guy with the Indiegogo was going to print all of these keycaps himself. And so for me, that would be 198,000 keycaps to print. Well, not quite that many. You don't print the space bar, but the majority of the keycaps you do print, and you got to print the tops as well as the faces. And that's It's all hands-on. You have to have somebody literally, you know, put the keycaps on a fixture and, you know, turn them up upside down or up or whatever you're going to do the printing for the face part of it. And that's a lot of work to do it. 
But I thought, yeah. you know, then COVID, I could have done all that. <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, so I can just walk through the the office and then, you know, put the keycaps in, hit the print button, you know, and then periodically do that all the time. I could have printed all the keycaps by now. Uh, but, you know, hopefully this will all go away, um, you know, COVID-wise and we will go back our lives back to normal. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of frustrating That's for, for me because I expected already to have a keyboard out and all these different things out already. And, uh, you know, I got them all designed and done ready for production, but... You know, I'm not going to produce a keyboard I can't use. No keycap makes no sense. And, you know, and from a business standpoint, it wouldn't make sense until you physically had them in your hand either to do it because you never know. You're subjected to like supplier chain issues, and and right. I have that same problem in the UAV industry as well. You know, that's why we might try to make as much stuff ourselves in house for everything we can, right? Instead of relying on other people to do it. But you know, I can't make you know capacitors and resistors and electronic parts and so you're stuck waiting on, you know, suppliers. That's about the bottom line. So all you can do is have enough foresight, you know, to try to plan ahead and hope the best, really. Mm -hmm. So I hope this interview um, helps to get the critics um, softened, <laughs> you know. I hope um, they stay being critics. Well, <laughs> 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 it's that bad word of mouth. It's like uh, Henry Ford, our automobile manufacturer, said, I don't care what you say about me, just spell my name right. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I have enough good stuff in the industry anyway, you know, with decades, literally, of products being developed and, and sold and, and used by, you know, hundreds of thousands mm -hmm. of people. But I've got a good name, so I'm not worried about that. Everything I produce is good, good quality. Well, I, 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 and a lot of the, a lot of the, the, the bad stuff, you know, doesn't have anything to do with with even if it was even if some of the bad stuff was true it doesn't have anything to do with the retro stuff that you're doing currently so you know like like yeah so so it shouldn't have any impact on that at all yeah you know people can think what they want so it doesn't yeah. matter to me <laughs> i sleep good at night that's a, that's a good thing right exactly exactly yeah, you're never going to find any place anywhere that talks about me taking anybody's money, though, and not delivering something. No. To me, that's so taboo, it's not even funny. Mm -hmm. True, true. I mean, I mean, <laughs> um, that would be a whole other story. For example, Morris Rendell, that was quite a character. Oh, Lordy. Yeah. Yeah, I know Morris. Yeah. Yeah, with the super CPU and all those things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's. It's been 20 years, and some people are still waiting for their delivery. Yes, they are. Yeah. So I, I would, that's to me, that's way past the line. Um, yeah, I, just, I can't even fathom doing business that way and sleeping yeah. at night. Yeah. I think in the U.S., we call it haters want to hate. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of people don't like me for the things I've been able to accomplish. And, you know, it's, like when I announce something, it's usually pretty pretty far fetched, I have to admit. But I know that I can pull it off and that's the only reason why I would do it. So I've never announced anything or done anything that hasn't come to fruition really. Uh, things take a long time sometimes. You know, and that's and I think one of the problems that, that people get confused with the stuff that I do, um, is that I'll make an announcement of what I'm working on and people seem to think that it's available today. Right. And I yes. kinda get stuck in that whole 
uh, genre of people that uh, believe that if you're announcing something, it's available. And I like to announce what I'm working on. And there needs to be a distinction between that. And I think that gets blended into somebody's imagination that today it's available. And then, no, he couldn't produce it. Because then that's where the, the whole bad thing happens, where, oh, you couldn't make it, blah, blah, blah. Like, right. people, right. I'm not even announced it's available yet, you know? I announced that I'm working on it, you know, five years ago, you know, whatever. Like, uh, there's a product called MicroDrive that I've been tinkering with for five years, literally. And uh, it's something that I've talked about, and I'm in progress on it, but uh, there's been no availability for it. And I really don't like release dates for anything ever, because you never know what's going to happen with something. You know, like, um, big piece of your hardware, and um, suddenly that CPU is no longer made. So, you know, what are you going to do? Right, if, right. Uh, you know, that's part of the foresight thing, where you look at long-term availability of parts, things like that, to make sure somebody's going to be available. Yeah. Yeah, I also want to point out too that that you know, uh, as far as as quality of the stuff that that you do create, and and I'm I'm working off of the the I I, I believe that the only thing that I have uh, because I don't you, you do stuff for like the 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 is it the Mister? Yeah, I make it. Uh, yeah. I make it for the DE10 board actually. It's okay. Not for Mister per se, but it's for the DE10 expansion. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah so. Yeah, yeah, I I don't I don't have that sort of thing, so I'm working mostly off of like the Y modem that you did, mm -hmm. uh, which is a fantastic piece of hardware. I've got it on this, uh, like I said, I've got it on the Amiga. But aside from that, is just documentation. Like like your documentation is is this this is all Y modem. Like this right. entire section of of this is that. Like there is, yeah. you know, you're you're. There is a wealth of information on how it works, and 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 you know, like far beyond a lot of a lot of places or a lot of, of manufacturers of these things, because the Wi-Fi modem is kind of a lot of different people make, um, and and so like a lot of it is just like you plug it in. Here's your commands. Here's how you connect to a board. That's the end of it. Or whereas you really do kind of go into the background of how it how it works and why it works and and you know there's 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 pictures and there's diagrams and there's 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 things to explain you know which which is which I like because it goes above and beyond what a lot of places do yeah I, you know my documentation to me is really important and <clears throat> one of the things I learned a long time ago is that uh, documentation changes constantly yes right and so one of the things that um, I actually got scrutinized for back in the day was um, I had on-disk documentation, a lot of stuff, um, because printing documentation over and over and over again was expensive and you throw away documentation. And I was changing things frequently. And you notice with the YMO, in fact, if you didn't notice today, there's an update today. Oh, is, is there? Yeah, I update the firmware all the time. Oh, yeah, I, ha I have noticed that, yes. I, yeah. that, that's so another cool I, thing. Why I update the firmware is not to fix anything, really. I, I, I haven't fixed, I don't think, hardly anything at all. That's five years old now, that part. Mm -hmm. um, I keep adding features. So um, I was on uh, presented at Kansas Fest for their online virtual um, event um, in, what, uh, August? Or July, July. And, and um, 
the people who were using it there. And I, I'm on Discord a lot. And just so happened two days ago, or a day and a half ago, a guy on Kansas Fest um, through the Discord said, can I do a feature request? And I said, sure, what do you want? And so he told me what he wanted. And so I implemented it last night and sent out the update to everybody. So he pushed the update. And so the documentation will get updated as well. And it's a PDF file, as you know. Yes. Um, so it makes it much easier to make instant updates available this way where you can actually have a documentation and such and having a printed document means that you're stuck in the past already as far as I'm concerned. Right, right. If you're not moving forward with products, then I don't think the product's really unless it's something that's set in stone and never going to change for any reason whatsoever I think it's a mistake to have a printed document for something that you have the ability to, you know, progress your product and progress the documentation and yes, for me yes. personally, I mean I spent you know, since 77 working on computers. So I've seen the transition from the command line interface to graphical interfaces. And the reality is that the general public, they like the Mac for one reason, the iPads and the iPhones for one reason. It's all intuitive, it's graphical. And so for me, everything that I use today, I want to make sure that people have a visual representation of what's going on. So diagrams and charts and things like this are very important for people. It's a lot faster to look at a picture and know, Here's where the jumper pads are, then to read some lines. Okay, located between this location and this location are the mm-hmm. different pads you're going to find. It's to me, it, I mean, that works, and that's worked in the past forever, but to me, it's unnecessary today. It's a lot easier yes. for, you know, for the user to look at a mm-hmm. picture or a diagram and go, okay, I get it. You know, it's right. hard. It still happens with customer support where they don't understand it, but it's a lot easier on customer support too. And a lot of companies probably don't understand that. Apple yeah. does for sure. The more visual you can be, the easier it is in your tech support. Yeah. And then for quality of my products, I offer a lifetime warranty on everything I make. So that's it. You can go plug it in backwards and try to burn it up or whatever. <laughs> and I design the products so that people can burn things up, you know, or try to burn things up and they don't get burned up. Um, yeah. So I'm, I've, I've consumer proofed as much as I can for all my products. So. <laughs> Just this like, is uh, the newest firmware is is three is three twenty. The newest firmware is three twenty. Three twenty one. Three twenty one. Oh, I see. I see. I've got the manual for three twenty. I got it. Yeah, I, I'm getting ready to post the manual for three twenty one right now. Okay, because yeah, cause I, I like so to change. I, I like to keep to my it, manuals but, printed in a book. So I. Uh, oh, right. Well, you can <laughs> print a couple extra pages, you know, or a page to replace it. Uh, what yeah, I did yeah. with a, a pretty simple change, um, you're familiar with having to enable telnet mode or not telnet mode, you know, what you're connecting. Mm-hmm. So one person made a good suggestion. I thought it made sense, so that's why I added it. Uh, now, um, you have, well, currently, with the person you have, you have to enter in an AT asterisk T1 to enable telnet mode. Yes. And then if you want to connect to a VBS that can't use telnet, you got to turn it off. So you're going back and forth between on and off all the time. So what I did is I made it now so you can actually enter that um, ATDT for dialing mm-hmm. with an asterisk T0 comma or an asterisk T1 comma and then the URL and the port. Oh. And that way it will actually do it for that particular call you're doing, that connection. You mm-hmm. will override whatever it is. So it made it easier for this guy because he's got like four different uh, BBS contacts that are telnet only and the rest mm-hmm. are not. So in his phone book, he just made those entries with uh, T1 and that way, it doesn't have to go switching it back and forth all the time and forgetting. That's the biggest problem: you forget which one needs what. Yes. 
very well, cool. that very cool. Very simple fix for it. So yeah. And I don't know if anyone. Well, if you got a feature request out there, people, let me know. Yeah. Because I don't mind anything. I I will <laughs> say that there there you might want to. I don't know if it's in the documentation because I haven't looked through it in a bit, but I did notice that when I started using it on the Amiga, um, the Amiga would um. It would, it would, the, the motor was moving faster than the Amiga could, could keep up with, which is a, a, a common issue with older machines and whatnot. And, sure, and, and no flow control. Right. right. And, uh, I did discover that the Baud Bandit driver, uh, works way better with it than the stock Amiga driver. Right. Yeah. That's a problem with the Amiga in general with that, yes. the serial dot device. Yes. Yeah. It's, it only handles a maximum of 57.6. Yeah. And it also depends on how many colors you've got because it's DMA restricted. Right. So we have a lot of issues. So so Bob added that device, and then there's a new one too that's like Oxer device, I think it's called, and it really? also works actually better than Bob Bandit. Yeah, if you check oh. out AmyNet, it's uh, on AmyNet. There's a replacement for the serial. AmyNet, yeah, yeah, I, I do know, I do know that. What was the what's the software called? I think what's it's called Oxer dot device. That's one of them I looked at. There's a couple different ones, and I found it on AmyNet. So go search AmyNet for a serial device replacement, and there's a couple quick bot bandits on there. There's a couple other ones on there. Okay. And there's actually source code for one, too. I think that's the one that was the new one, because they actually added some features for supporting the O60 and things like that. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah, yeah that, that's the one thing that I had to... That was the, the um, Wi-Fire thing that I, I had to figure out, because it happens with the 64, too, with the Wi-Fi modems, is that it just... Especially yeah, in like eighty column, it just cannot keep up with going at high speed. Right. Yep. Yeah, you got to turn on your flow control for that. Yeah. Yeah, the same thing happens with the Atari ST and the TRS eighties. I mean, all the computers that the Y modem works with. So, you know, I've had this crash course on the TRS eighty, Atari ST, and other computers I've never worked on really before to mm. determine, you know, hey, okay, what's the problem here? Let's see, the fortunate and unfortunate. Uh, what happens when you support other computers? <laughs> you know, right, it's great right, to get yeah. the market, but but you have to learn it at that point. You know, so so now I'm an owner of an ST, a TRS-80, um, uh, Atari 400 or 800, and all the different mm -hmm. little computers I had to pick up just to make sure that it was compatible. You know, with all these things and yeah. different little quirks. You know. Yeah, you keep finding new. You you you, you accumulate things as you. As you as you do this, I've I've learned. <laughs> yeah, it's um. So you know, when I got back into the retro computing thing. I started. I had a lot of stuff before. I mean, I had a, an entire storage unit full uh, mm -hmm. of stuff before, and then now I picked up even more. So I have like, you know, I'm in the disc copying thing because of SuperCard, um, SuperCard mm -hmm. 64 for the Amiga, and now the SuperCard Pro, the Flux copier, which I've had for eight years now, almost nine years. Uh, but I have 50,000 original discs here, literally. Yeah. So I have 30,000 five and a quarters and about 20,000 three and a half. And uh, most of the five and a quarters are all Commodore 64. Um, and then almost all, all of the three and a half are Amiga. So, mm. but I had almost all of that before I got back into retro computing. I just kept it all and just put it in right. storage. Right. No, which is a good thing to do. Stuff. Which is a good thing to do. If you look I nowadays, wish, what I it wish is, I had done that. Yeah. If I, you look, you know, I wish I would have kept boxed things. I wish I would have kept like all the Mega 65s that I got my hands on back in the day. You know, yeah. <laughs> a lot of yeah. things you knew. 
know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah right. If you look at what things on eBay cost or other places sometimes, oh, you know? Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah it's, it's, uh, uh, it's amazing that uh, some things held their value really well and other things didn't hold a value at all. Yeah. I'm still happy. I'm still happy that I saved that? half a year um, of pocket money and Christmas and birthday money in um, in '98 for the super CPU. That's 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 something I'm very happy for. I, I I'm waiting. Think. It's got to oh, come yeah. out. Someone has to come out with with because I mean they they've done the CMD hard drive clones. They've got they've got the 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 um you know the REU clones they've come out with. They're, we're missing everything except. Except this is the super CPU. Someone's well, got to do it. Jim Brain has been working on that, trying to reverse engineer some of the PALs and stuff that are in the mm. super CPU. And for that, so the, I have an accelerator that will be out. I think Jim Brain's doing an accelerator as well. Um, at the uh, World of Commodore event that happened over the weekend, I made a, a video I announced the stuff that I'm actually working on right now. One of the things yeah. is called the Supercart 2. I did a super cartridge originally for the 64 back in the mm -hmm. day, and it was a um, cartridge that had 512K of, of the programming on it, and the bank switch programs in and out with all kinds of utilities and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that, I would call it the same thing, basically Supercart 2. And it is um, it's actually a lot different. So I've got a prototype, actually. So it's, um, it is, I started out as a, as a diagnostics cartridge for the 64. Uh, a true dead cartridge where you plug it in, it would bypass a CPU and go take a look at the memory map and figure out if the, seat, if the, uh, the ROMs work, the RAM works, the VIC works, all that stuff. And I thought, well, to do that, you've got to take over the bus, much like the Super CPU did and other things that, that do that, like the Ultimate 2 Plus and all that. Right. And so I thought, well, I'm taking over the bus anyway. Um, I can put on 16 megs of RAM and do an RU. And I thought, well, I can do a CPU emulation as well. So I can do a four or eight megahertz um, simulation of a CPU. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that I'm able to do with it. It also has my Y modem built into it as well, um, but with a twist. It's got uh, Swift Link support, which is 38.4 baud, but I also have direct access to it. So I can actually do a megabod. I can fill the memory mm -hmm. before almost three times per second off of uh, the, the server. So mm -hmm. it's pretty fast. So if you uh, did you guys look at the World Commodore event at all? Not, not me. Um, I, yeah, no, I, I, I did not, I did not see that one. Okay, well, I can give you a link to uh, yeah. the video that did a presentation of it. Oh yes, please. Oh yes, please. Yes. And, yes, yes, and, and, and if you feel like sending uh, review copies over, to... <laughs> <laughs> I have prototypes. Need to find out for next year, uh, but um, like my C sixty four is done. The new one. Called an ISCS64. You know about that? But no, I, I don't. Let me tell you what I, I, I introduced at the, the World Commerce Show. I have an ICS64, which is a Commodore 64 motherboard, kind of like you've seen the 60 clone. Right, all right. Yes. This is a lot different. This is, um, I based it on the layout design of how the KU board is as far as components, sort of. I moved things around from that even. Um, but it's got a microcontroller on the back side of the board, and it gives you the ability to do ROM switching um, using the restore key. On resetting the computer using the restore key, 
uh, it'll drive an a RGB LED strip or a panel. Um, hmm. It shows your voltage. It drives an OLED screen. Um, you got put in your 64. Shows your voltage of your computer, um, state of the XROM line, the IRQ, all kinds of things. But the ROM switching is something that I wanted. So I basically, that's why I built it. So we built by a bare board with the SMT parts. Oh, it's also got a, um, incredible video display output, uh, hmm. compared to the ROM modulator. And it also has the ability to run stereo SID, um, out easily. It's got a pad. Where you can solder your, your second stereo SID line to it, and then there's a convenient little plug you can get to both your left and right channels out. Makes it more mm-hmm. easier. So let me figure out where my video is. Sure. Yeah, sure. There's, actually, there's actually a second thing people never made uh, replacements of disk drives. No. Right. Well, that's what my microdrive is. So the microdrive that I have been tinkering with for the last five years, um, it started out as a 1541 replacement. Are you familiar with Pi 1541? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's just like that. The exact same thing that Pi 1541 is for the 1541 um, emulation, but the size of your thumbnail, mm. the tiny little thing. And so my plan was for it is um, to use it internally in your computer. I don't want to have it be external. I want it internal. And you basically right. have an SD card full of games. That are so, so like, the, so like the ultimate 1541 computer? The ultimate 64 that has the uh, ROM no, emulator you, inside? What do you mean? The, the, my motherboard? Mean, uh, or yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, you said, you said you want to have this uh, thumbnail sized uh, drive emulator inside the computer. Yeah, inside. That's it. It's a disk drive inside your 64. Exactly. And I wonder, isn't right. the Ultimate 64 the uh, computer um, by Gideon's uh, Schweitzer, uh, Schweitzer yeah. similar to that? Yeah, it's similar to that as well. Same kind of emulation for it. But um, I focused on G64 so I could load copy-protected disks, wow. the images, which is what my thing was. Also the fact that uh, the microdrive uses about 60 milliamps of current. So you can drive it with 64, no, no problem. Where like on a Pi 1541, that requires a one and a half or two amp power supply. So there's no way to run that internally in your 54. True. So, mm-hmm. so I want to be low power. I've got SX64 as well. I wanted to have a second drive in it as a micro drive. And so I have an SX64 with a TFT display instead of a regular monitor and all these little things in it. I wanted to have that capability for it. Uh, so that's something that I've, uh, I've been working with for like literally five years on it, um, but you know it's not done. It's the only thing to finish on that, ironically enough. So people that know me know that I'm an assembly programmer. I program an assembly for everything. Mm-hmm. Still to this day, all the flight control systems we do for UAVs is all done in assembly. Everything is done in assembly. As the only thing I've ever done in my entire life in C is the Y modem actually, and uh, it's partly in assembly as well, but mostly it's in, in C code. And so the microdrive is all done in assembly as well. And so it's cycle accurate. And so you'll learn, learn, I posted this link to this video. Um, so I have that. Um, I have, um, this thing called the retro repair station, which is a prototype. And what this is is a tester, oscilloscope and chip tester and all kinds of stuff for, Diagnosing problems with your 64 or any other computer. 
And then another thing that I'm releasing is this called the XIA. And this is a replacement for basically every peripheral interface chip that Commodore made. So a 6522, a 6526, the 6530 used in the old uh, pet drive and CDTV and stuff and the 6525. Used in uh, Magic Voice, and so basically it'll emulate, um, I think, eleven different Commodore chips from back in the day. Wow! And they're also used in arcade. So because pe people, it's hard to find sixty-five twenty-sixes. Yes, yeah, it is. So this replaces your sixty-five twenty-six. You just pop this in, and now it's just yeah. Because there's there's one of them. I think the one that is in. Um... The, the 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 version that's in the fifteen forty one. It's uh, the the um sixty five twenty two is on the fifteen forty one. Yes, yes. And the, the, they're, they're pretty common because I think Rockwell still makes them. Right, um, but the twenty sixes they don't, and the eighty five right. twenty the Amiga they don't. Right, and and I think there's one uh, whatever is in the like the plus four and stuff like that. They none of those things you can find. Right, none of those are made, so you can emulate all those different chips with this device. And there was also one in the um, uh, whatever they used in the sixty-five, the C sixty-five. Um, you know, they only made like like ten of those chips in total. I'm and not sure what they used. I've not looked at that computer actually, other than I looked at they've got um, you know large custom chips that yes, like Dave Haney and those guys made up and stuff. Yeah, but I'm yeah. Not sure, um, what for forty pen chips are actually? Let's take a look at that and see. Yeah, and then I think that the uh, the Met, the 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 Mega, the Museum of of whatever that's doing the Mega sixty five, they've been reverse engineering most of these chips. So yeah. they and and they're and they're making the you know open source, so anyone can go and find that information. So that that could be right. an option too to make the the you know it's I think that's they're probably the you know the the not the the that kind of chip. I, my brain can't think of what the term is for the square ones. Yeah, the um, LCC style. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is a 40-pin replacement, which is right. the most common package for all the Commodore stuff. So mm -hmm. the 6522, the 26, uh, they've got a, a TPI and a PIA and all the mm -hmm. different chips that, you know. Um, so basically it's, um, um, that's it, man. It's, it's not that complicated. And I don't use an FPGA for doing it. I don't need to for this type of application. So hmm. it's in the being a lot less, you know, expensive and yeah, because yeah. FPGAs are expensive. Yeah, I, I, I love that. That's actually so yeah, that's, that's one of those things that like like you think like you know that's one of those things when you're fixing something and it's like I wish there was something that I could just that, that would be universal for this and it's like that's that's it. Yeah, that's the cool thing about this you'll see in the video basically there's an LED and there's a push button on here. Uh, you can camera won't focus probably, but um, right. you can actually program what chip it emulates, and you cool. can switch you, whenever you want to. So if you don't use it for you know a, a sixty-five twenty-two anymore, and you need it for sixty-four, you can pull it out, pop in your sixty-four, and program it to be a sixty-five twenty-six, and you're done. Amazing! That is amazing. Awesome. So that we learned awesome. a lot more today than just about keycaps. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Look at the link of the presentation for World of Commodore. Basically, it's a video and it shows uh, what's coming out. Um, the ICS sixty four that's shown, I actually have boards now. So I'll be able to offer that before the end of the year, and then the other product will be out in twenty twenty one. Hmm. Cool. 
I am looking at them. I, I've got the video right in front of me. I'm looking at it. Um, we can yeah, uh, we, 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 we link, we, we'll link to that in the in the podcast description and probably play some of it over this whilst we're talking, but there probably will be an audio for it. But, but it'll be something that people can see. So, yeah, uh, I now have like I now have like four things that I, I, I need to get in the coming year. <laughs> yeah, and these a second, things that I made for me. And a second yeah. shop to <laughs> afford this all, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, like I said, you know, you know, copy, <laughs> you know, PO box four six one. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's a, it's a running joke with our CRX crew um, that uh, they always tell me that they're going to send me the bill for everything that I make that it costs too much. <laughs> So you guys, you guys don't do um, following all these different events, apparently. So the World Commodore event just happened. Um, that, that's the event that happens every year in, in Toronto. It's sponsored by the TIFO um, mm-hmm. group, which is the, the, the Toronto Pet User Group. Uh, great guys that are there. So that's where I did this presentation. And then every year, um, I host the largest Commodore event in probably the world, definitely the U.S. Um, it's called CRX. It's, which is the Commodore Retro Expo, and mm-hmm. it's a three-day long event, normally live, and it's a, it's a three-day long event virtually this year, and okay. if you go to crxevent.com, uh, you can take a look and see what we've done, but uh, so for this, this year's virtual event, we had chiptune artists, like famous people, like not just like off-the-street people, but real famous people. Um, right. Um, is a guy that um, is a DJ in Las Vegas. He's actually world for now. He is buddies with all these chiptune artists, and so he actually put this together a program called Bitscape, and uh, that's pretty amazing. So if you look on uh, YouTube, you'll find the CRX event, and we have all three days that are live streamed onto that, and so you can check out what we do during that event. And our event typically is in uh, late August, and in La- live in Las Vegas, Nevada. So I don't know if we'll have an event this year. We're all hoping to have a live event again this year, uh, or but, or virtual, virtual. Or that actually, you know, we, we did uh, we did games, complete events um, when when possible. Yeah. It's just you know a lot of times the the travel gets in the way or real life or work or whatever. But uh, so I think because of the success of the virtual events, we'll probably have some kind of virtual component of the live event as well. Like a simulcast of what's going on, mm-hmm. that way people all over the world can can see it. Because um, obviously we had people this time, obviously in Germany and Austria and, and Netherlands and everyone that had checked in, you know, where they're from. So we had a lot of people, obviously, that would never normally go to the events. Right. Uh, but we do have a lot of people from all over the world that do fly in for the event because it's that popular. Um, we've had um, Clonto guy, um, Mike Bastiano from Clonto come in, and we had the guy that did the uh, the Commodore Story Kickstarter project. They came in and you know mm-hmm. our live events and stuff. So we do get a lot of good, really you know, great guest speakers, and so it's a, it's a fun event. So I think mm-hmm. you guys know, should check out too, but check out yeah. the video for it. Um, it's a lot of fun, but it's three days of, of chaos, Commodore chaos for sure. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's, there that's are some right. events we cover, right? But I don't, I don't remember the name of the American events. But there is this in this show, AJ, that you went to a couple of times in the past. Well, yeah, I went to a video game con, but that wasn't that wasn't this. But, but there and, was and a the, different um, one. Yeah. 
Vintage Computer Festival as exactly. well. Exactly. Yeah. Vintage Computer yeah. Festival, right. That's what yeah, TCF is a, is a good event too. They, sh- they have several different ones, different locations mm-hmm. to the east and the west and all that. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even even in Germany, Vienna and stuff, right? Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we need to get we need to get more into these. Uh, we need to get a travel budget, Jörg. There you go. <laughs> go to all these. <laughs> we we need to. We can. Uh, if we can swing Las Vegas, that's the cheapest place in the world to have a, a conference because flights are cheap into Vegas, hotels are cheap, mm-hmm. and uh, our, we have a facility there. It's a huge ballroom at uh, one of the casinos, so we have 7,500 square feet of space. For um, I'm not sure what that works out in the meters view, but it's a, it's a big space for our event, and it's uh, basically it's catered and it, it's a great event. It's a lot of fun, yeah. and you know we have. Uh, Pajama night, where everybody comes in their pajamas and they're just programming. And so <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah I, I, I just I, need to get there from New Jersey. Is the <laughs> it's a quick flight? Yeah. Nice, nice, nice. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. well, that's um, that's probably something. Now, now we spoke for for a lot longer. Than uh, than originally yeah. planned, yeah. but hey, nice. We covered a lot. I'm very happy for that. Um, I'm yeah, actually, I'm actually about the floppy about the floppy thing. What I originally mm-hmm. was meaning was not a floppy Jurgis, emulator, yeah. but was um, a physical replacement of the 1541. Yeah, he, he wants an actual floppy drive yeah. Yeah. to be replaced because that's the one thing that no one's done. Because yeah, that is what I want. They've gone out of style. You know, because I prefer the original discs. I, I, in the last 20 years, I always made sure that I have a thousand empty discs in my cupboard. Yeah. Now, I, I feel, I feel as if that there, there are enough, there have been enough floppy drive mechanisms created that, that will probably never run out. What we need, what, what would be useful is a, um, an adapter that would let you take like a regular PC disc. Uh, drive mechanism and plug it into the 1541 and use that instead of the 1541 mechanism, which is very a very custom sort of mechanism. Well, the, the drive itself has electronics in the drive with the full computer. I know. Yeah. And I know. you have to play higher grain to, to do it. So, yeah. ironically enough, uh, my Supercard Pro board, I actually have that built into it. I just never no. I just haven't done the firmware for it. So, literally, um, there's an IEC port on my board. This is a SuperCard Pro board. Mm-hmm. So there's a little connector over here. That's an IEC port. So I can actually plug this into um, a Commodore 64 and make it with a real floppy drive, you know, connected to a cable to read this that way. I just have never done the firmware for it. There's not been too mm-hmm. much of an interest in it, really. There might be in the future as more and more drives die. But I think the reality is that there's, you know, there were 17 million computers sold. And there were what, thirty some million disk drives made. Right. So there's probably lots of disk drives still that work. And I guess yeah. why there's not been that much interest in it. Well right. well I, I do. Because I'm I'm a floppy disk <laughs> yeah. yeah, He's I, very he's he's very interested in this. <laughs> I, I am. I am. I would I would buy ten of those drives if they were coming out tomorrow. <laughs> that's that's for certain. Yeah. Yeah. Coffee drives are available, and you can buy them on eBay. They're kind of expensive, though. Uh, they right are. Now. They are. Yeah. 
that's what some of my customers would give me feedback buying a five and a quarter inch disk drive so they can copy you know they'll plus copy the software yeah They're, the drives are kind of expensive they're like 50 to 100 dollars just for the drive mechanics part alone yeah yeah and uh, the, the three and a half inch drives they're a little bit easier because even though even yeah. though you know uh, it, it, the amiga and the 64 or the 1581 rather used a very specific version of it they, there is a uh, they do make and this is um by a, a seller from i'm not entirely sure where this seller is from but it's a it's an adapter that lets you plug just a regular old pc uh three and a half right. inch drive into your into your yeah. amiga and right. presumably that might also work with the 1581 because it's 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 basically it's doing the same drive. thing yeah. yeah um but but with the with the five and a half inch or five and a quarter inch i'm sorry um the five and a quarter inch there is no there's nothing like that there's right. no there's no adapter for that it's it's what what the 1541 is is what the 1541 is right yeah so the 1541 is a raw uh, mechanical drive and then mm -hmm. it has an analog head that goes into the circuitry on the, the board and that right. analog circuitry goes and converts it into bitstream for gcr and that you know becomes a computer in that drive and literally yes. and 265 22 and it actually has as much hardware as a 64 does. You know, it's yeah, it's basically, it's basically just another computer networking. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a, it's exactly what it is. Yeah, so I've got the floppy drive. They have all the electronics built into the drive itself. Yeah. 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 You know the the fifteen forty one and the and, and enhancer and the eighty one and whatnot and plus plus the sixty four that's basically four computers networked together through a serial yeah. you know interface. I see. So this episode is like a lesson about Amiga and C sixty four hardware. Yes, yes, basically. exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's I'm, how so, I'm so I'm so happy. Law. Yeah, I'm so happy, Jim, that you were so open about the questions I had. You know, yeah, no worries. It's, it's good. <laughs> I mean, I, I was pestering yeah. long enough for this interview. <laughs> right, right. All right. So, is there anything else we should ask or add? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Silence. Any any other awesome things coming up that I need to buy? I actually, well, I, it's funny, I'm making a rib by my guys. Um, the reason why I have these particular products coming out are the ones that I've been tinkering for a while with. And I have a real habit, and it's pointed out actually at World of Commodore, and it's so true. So I'll de I need a, something, I'll develop it. And if I, I really need it myself, then it gets finished and done. If I need it just to see if I can do it, then they get put in a box. I have a box that's huge, full of stuff that I've made prototypes of that I've never actually produced because I it was more of a challenge to see if I could actually do it. And yeah. then once the challenge was over, it goes in the box. So all my friends are like, you need to take that box and open it up and you need to pull the stuff out of it and let us figure out what really would work and what doesn't work for the general public. And yeah. go that route. So I have, I think there's 11 things that got picked out that will be actually worked on and, and finished up. The microdrive is one, probably the, the biggest one. And so what I was saying before with I'm a assembly programmer, um, 
So I write everything in assembly. I don't have a fat file system written in assembly that supports writing or long file names. Um, so I did a very simple read short file names one, and that's what I've been using in MicroDrive, but I think it'd be a crime not to be able to have it writable for one. And yeah. then I think it'd be a crime also if I didn't have long file name support in it. But those are the two big things that are really holding up that product from getting released. It's been done literally, and I've demoed it for five years. Mm. So it's, it's something it's time to, you know, just to push it over the edge and get that stuff done. And then at that point, so the MicroDrive actually has um, evolved from the 1541. So it's a, it was called Micro 1541 originally. Now it's called MicroDrive because it's a micro disk drive emulator and also right. hardware emulator. So I have HD uh, or CMD HD 2040 support for it. Um, so it emulates a hard drive. It'll emulate um, a handy uh, disk drive one or disk drive two, a little portable drive. It'll emulate a tape drive. It'll emulate uh, Atari uh, 810 disk drive, uh, 1010 disk drive. All the different kinds of disk drives for different computer systems it will emulate. And so I have all that stuff done already. All that stuff works. Hmm. So once I get this file system all ironed out, then I can actually release it. And it's a big market because it's all the different types of computers that can use it, not just the, the 54. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So that's one of many things. Yeah, that's the sort of thing I see. You know, you've got a YouTube channel uh, that I that I, I yeah, yeah I, I don't stuff. really use it at all either. I'm not a big, oh, big no. social media guy yeah. at all. I don't use Facebook really, and I don't use YouTube so much. I post things when I need to. But I have a forum. Yeah, but I, I was just thinking that, that that going through like those boxes and like like like. You know, getting like like a demo and ex an explanation of how these things work, even if they're just prototypes that will never see the light of day, is something that like that could be that would be really interesting to see. Like, I would love to watch that. Oh, maybe I'll do that then. I didn't think you may be interested. Yeah, yeah, that's. I think a lot of people would be interested in seeing that that kind of stuff. Even oh. non, not even non, you know, Commodore stuff. Like, like, like you said, you had Atari stuff and whatnot. Yeah. That that stuff, but just seeing how that. You know, like this is. Uh, you know, I, I have a literally this box contains stuff from 1983. Yeah. I mean, all the way up until now. They, so I have dozens of products that never got released that were worked on. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of stuff in Amiga that I it was never released, but I worked on prototypes, lots of prototypes. Hand yeah. Draft stuff all the way up to SMT stuff now. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that would be fascinating to to have that, especially for for you know you know documentation purposes. To so because you know uh, eventually at some point this stuff may disappear or or you know something might happen to it and it's not something that can be ever you know ever explored again. That just sort of have it as a as a as a video or as a you know like just you know even even an article or something like a written blog thing you know explaining how it works. How you came, how you did it, and stuff. I think that would be awesome to see. Okay, well, I'll I'll consider it then. I've got a lot of stuff for sure. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was amazed. My uh, my wife looked at this stuff, and she's like, "You did all of this stuff, like, yeah, what I did." So people understand it was my day job. That's what I did. Right, right, yeah. So it wasn't like I did it as a pastime or something. It was actually a job that I got paid every single day to go do. Mm -hmm. So. Like the Commodore yeah. guys, so, so. right? Yeah, it's one of the things that um, maybe I'll get around to doing that. It's interesting. I, I go through this stuff periodically. Like I did a 
I took some stuff to CRX and did a, a, a thing on it, on a different little prototype I had done you know, back in the day. And um, some of the stories that I remember doing that is be the reason why I want to do it because there's all kinds of interesting stories, you know, attached right. to one of the devices and what I was doing at the time and who I was competing with and things mm-hmm. like that. Like the implant board has got a ton of stories about it too. Wow. A lot of yeah. products that I make because of I want them. And then there's some products that I make because of um, something went bad or a competition. Kind of like the keycap campaign. You know, that's really, that happened because of the issue with this guy that sent the skating letter to me saying that, you know, I could never do it. And he's the man and blah, blah, blah. He's the man. <laughs> That's a, the, the worst thing you can do is try to challenge me at something. So I'm going to go do it at that point. Right, right. I'm yeah, yeah. Say, yeah, I can be done. And here's why, and here's how. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you're right. I think it's probably a good idea to document some of the things that I've done. In, uh, yeah, yeah. Awesome. You know, that, that, I, I at least, you know, you'd have you'd have at least one viewer because I'd be fascinated by that <laughs> stuff. I'm sure yours would be too. Of course. I mean, I mean, we are doing this interviews and all this stuff and articles and preservation i mean you saw it since 20 years so yeah right yeah yeah you know it's all about you know preserving this the the if not the actual hardware itself you know the the and 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 learning about how how it works and whatnot and that's the sort of thing that you know we're seeing a lot of museums that have covid they're they're disappearing and Right, yeah. You know, and, and and it's a real fear that that a lot of this stuff is going to be lost as right. as, as so these I, things close down. My dad was museum director and curator for a long time, so I'm used to working with the museum and and that preservation work. That's why I make mm-hmm. the SuperCard series for for backing up your software for preservation. So right, right. I actually have like the Library of Congress and a lot of universities and people like that use my products for backing up their stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I understand the preservation aspect for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Awesome, awesome. So before yeah. we let you go, Jim, um, where can yeah. people where can people find your stuff? Is yes. there any um, main <laughs> spot? Okay, well, www.cbmstuff.com. So that's CBM, like Commodore Business Machines, or you know something other initials you want to use. Um, com and then I have the YouTube channel which I really don't do anything I think what we've got like 20 people have followed or something like that I'm not looked I just post like um, documentation like we're talking about on YouTube you'll find installation instructions for one of the products I make and again I'm a very visual person so to me doing a video of installation makes way more sense than trying to even doing a diagram because especially there's little caveats that you need to look for you know, or avoid if you're doing installation. So right, that's right. Me, it's a good media for doing that. So the YouTube mm-hmm. channel there, I have a Facebook thing, but I think there's what five people on there. Like that. I don't know. I don't. I don't go on Facebook at all. Like I said, I'm not a social media kind of guy at all. I probably should be. Um, no, not not in this current climate. You know, you really don't want to be. I used to be a social media guy, guy and I'm I'm not. I, I I I've been trying to stay away from it lately. Yeah, I just. Yeah, I maybe not. I don't know. I like I. I Just trying to stick to myself. I do the forum. I do have a forum, and okay. that's linked off the website. And that's the easiest way to get a hold of me is through the forum or through email. Either way, um, so I'm not hard to find. I'm not hiding from anybody at all. Uh, so that's another thing that people can take some 
install it in with the KeyCamp campaign. You know, they can email me right now, and you're going to get a response in a short period of time. So I can uh, confirm I, it worked well communicating with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Um, cool. We will put links to everything in the podcast description below and probably on the screen if people are looking at this. Exactly. Um, yeah, so that they can check. So, see ya. Bye, right, guys. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Be safe. Be safe. <laughs>